Hey, K-pop cast listeners, this is another K-pop chat episode. This was a Twitter Spaces conversation we had online. Heads up, the quality isn't as high as our usual production value just because this was recorded through a mobile app. Um, but we'll be back again next week as we're getting back from travel and things, and we should be recording an episode uh, just in a couple days here. So in the meantime, enjoy this fun conversation on parasocial relationships in K-pop. Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of K-pop chat. Um, and we're here to talk about how K-pop labels orchestrate parasocial relationships. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the highly curated, stage-manufactured <laughs> um, personalities that we try to, to curate um, uh, in this business model. But joining us, we've got an awesome crew of excellent speakers um, to speak to this topic. Um, and I, I think we want to take a nuanced approach. And, you know, one thing I want to call out from our last K-pop chat, we had a really awesome set of audience members. So you in the audience, you can be a participants in this conversation as well. We, we love, um, you know, critical thinking. We're not going to take any of these uh, thoughts um, in an ad hominem way. I think we really we're in, interested in the pursuit of coming closer to the truth or, or just learning more about this topic. So... Um, feel free to engage and participate again using the hashtag K-pop chat. Just tweet that out with your question or comment. So let me introduce um, the speakers that we've got up on stage right now. So um, I'm going to go in the order as you appear on my screen right now. So that means up first, it's uh, Thomas. Go ahead and uh, just introduce yourself to our the panelists and speakers. Um, thank you for inviting me to join this space. Um, so my name's Tom Burnett. I'm a cultural anthropologist who works at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. Um, and my recent research has been exploring idol culture from Japan to South Korea to Thailand and its roles in shaping LGBTQ plus fan experience. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of share my insights from my research with you all. Uh, and I should also mention that I am, of course, a K-pop fan myself. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Tom, Thomas. And then up next, we've got 106 in Seoul. Mars. So hey, guys, let me hear you make some noise. Um, hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> um, Kat's not in here. I see Kat as a listener, but I just wanted to, but hi, everyone. Um, I'm Mars from 106, the shiny print. Um, and uh, the Redpick cast, whatever it's. A Rebel Love podcast is a Patreon podcast. Um, and yeah, Stan Luna. Okay, and then up next, we've got Carolina. Hi, everybody. Um, this is Carolina. I'm one fourth of Natural Average Fangirls, a K pop podcast. I'm just really excited to talk about this topic because obviously we're fangirls. So, <laughs> oh, and then. Uh, up next, Lily. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Lily Dabs. I'm a music business professional and a longtime K-pop fan. Um, I'm also super excited to talk about this because it's super interesting. So this is going to be fun. And next up, Emily. Hi, friends. My name is Emily. I'm the co-host of the New York City K-pop Queens podcast. I'm ready to go. This is going to be a fun night. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, Emily. And then up next, it's uh, Not Your Average Netizens. Hi, everybody. I'm Nat. I am one-fourth of Not Your Average Netizens and one-half of Soju Chronicles. And yeah, not to echo everyone, but I am very excited to see what we come up with today. Woo. And Aram, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, this is Aram. I uh, research and teach K-pop in China. Good to see you all again. Good to see you, a, a regular of, of the K-pop chats. Um, and Simply Jay up next. Hi everyone, I'm Jay. I am one half of the Craze cast. I'm also a content creator as well as a writer for the Craze magazine. It's been a while since I've been back here, but it's good to be back and I'm excited to talk to everybody about it tonight. So. Hi, everyone. And up next, it's Liz or Liz C. 
Hi, everybody. This is Liz. I'm a longtime K-pop fan and K-pop podcast listener. And I'm really excited tonight because I am 100% sure that my favorite idol is listening to this program and is going to be hearing what I have to say about them. Always. That's right. That's how it works. Um, and then last but not least, we've got uh, our K-pop fangirl life. Hi, everyone. I'm Vicky, one half of our K-pop fangirl life. And I will echo what everyone says. Really excited to be here and uh, talk about this topic. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, and for being awesome, critical thinking speakers and audience members. Again, on this topic, I'm sorry to be a broken record on this, but if you have questions or thoughts, please, please, please tweet them out using the hashtag Kpop chat, and we'll we'll pin them up at the top of this discussion and address it when we can. I like to also read out the comments um, throughout the com duration of this chat. Um, and it looks like, by the way, we're at capacity for speakers, so I can't add more speakers um, unless someone drops out. Um, in which case, we might do that toward the end. Um, but anyway, kicking things off, um, I've perhaps, I don't know, I might have a misinterpretation of this definition, but uh, parasocial relationships to me seemed like uh, it was a way to have a relationship with a, either a fictional character or a celebrity or a politician and what have you. Um, through all the media and content that they're providing to us, often through digital platforms, and allowing us to sort of internalize that as if uh, we, we know that person. When in reality, and logically speaking, uh, we don't actually know <laughs> that person, but it, it has that emotional connection in effect. Um, and uh, it's increasingly becoming a hot topic within the K-pop world. I mean, yes, that 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 dynamic was always there from the beginning, but I think fans are just becoming more aware of, of this concept. So um, Thomas, I, I'm gonna invite you to help me course correct that definition um, and, and a different way we should be thinking about the term. Um, I, I think that I would begin, Peter, by flagging that there's a lot about that definition that is at functional level quite correct. Um, when we think about the term and its use and how it's emerged within the literature in psychology, as well as the literature in sociology and anthropology that I'm familiar with. Um, the first thing that I, I want to mention um, right off the bat is that for academics working within this space, the concept of the parasocial relationship is a fairly neutral term. It is a term that we use to describe the phenomena without applying any kind of positive or negative valence to it. And our critical work on exploring the way that these um, relationships develop and the relationships that are produced and managed and, as Peter said, manufactured, that's where we do our analysis of the effects. So... I think one thing that I, I commonly get, I will put it bluntly, frustrated with in discourse with a capital D is the way that the word parasocial relationship is being thrown around um, with a negative connotation without kind of understanding that it, it can be also a very positive thing and that it is just a, an aspect of idol fandom in East Asia because the idol is a postmodern phenomenon. When we consume it, we consume the idol image, not the idol itself, and that this is where parasocial relationships develop, that we develop this relationship with an image of the idol, and that feels real, but there's always a, a disconnect between the actual individual and the image that they perform. And this is always something that's been very interesting to me because the image is able to be filled with all sorts of feelings and meanings by fans, but also it's able to be filled with all sorts of meanings and feelings by producers. And this is where the complication begins to emerge, where we can kind of, as I say, think about the positive or negative effects that emerge through the development of these relationships. Thank, thank you for that, Thomas, and, and keeping us grounded. I really love that that nuance you added on uh, falling in love with, with the image of the idol versus uh, the idols themselves. But um, okay, with, with that being said, let, let's let's talk about some uh, examples. Um, where where have parasocial relationships in K-pop been used to a great commercial effect, uh, where it's been very successful to use that parasocial dynamic? 
Are there specific examples or uh, common practices um, that seem to be <laughs> revenue generating? What do you guys think? For sure, <laughs> fan signs. Yeah, tell I think that I think that fan signs are kind of a perfect example. Um, I mean, obviously, like album signings and stuff exist in Western music industries, but fan signs as a concept, I mean, it's like kryptonite for K-pop fans. Um, everybody, almost all fans that I know, unless you're a person with like social anxiety that like you just can't be doing that. Um, every other fan that I know, that's the dream. Like that's that's what you want to accomplish as a fan. You're seen as a successful fan if you get to do a fan sign because you spend all of this time being a fan of someone and to be able to talk to them and get that kind of, um, I guess, satisfaction of them knowing you exist for a minute can really fuel that um, parasocial relationship because you leave there thinking that, oh, this person knows you, this person is going to think about you or this person is going to recognize you next time. And I feel like that's a big um, driving force for people within parasocial relationships that there one day could be not a parasocial relationship. Maybe it could be a regular friendship or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, I'd like to say that Mia and Asia from um, Everglow were cousins. Um, so, yeah. I can see it. And actually to, to add on to, you know, what Lily's talking about, even um, with fan signs itself, like if you're looking at the, you know, the revenue side of things uh, with these virtual fan signs, they've even broken it down to specific members sometimes depending on the groups. And um, that really then as a fan, you're like, okay, well, I need to go try to talk to this one or try to talk to that one. And it's just like, it's a really uh, like a steady revenue flow for companies to to do all of that. Um, and then I would also add on um, from this like marketing or business perspective, you know, looking at what member are people feeling more connected to and then getting those members out there to variety shows to be promotional people for different brands all across, you know, um, I mean, now it's we've even broken the barrier that it doesn't even have to stay within Korea. Like we're buying, we're buying things internationally to get it shipped to us, no matter what the product is, you know, there's group orders and things like that. Um, so definitely they're finding ways to kind of appeal to us on these, you know, relationships and kind of profit off of that. If I could just step in there, that's a really good point because it, it also reminds me of how fans and also fan sites and fan groups and fan clubs really put a lot of energy into brand reputation rankings. Um, and this is something that is very, very, you know, watched very carefully by both marketers in South Korea, but also globally, as well as agencies themselves. And this is a key space in which revenue is produced because the endorsement fees that some idols are able to ask, and I'm thinking of Bangtan Songyeondan, of course, at this moment in time, can be a significant source of wealth for the agency. So the personal relationship that, uh, uh, well, the parasocial relationship that develops between a fan and a specific idol, as well as a idol group, is important for marketing because if you have an investment into that idol and a perception that engaging with the products they endorse is a way of maintaining closeness and intimacy, then of course that translates into megabucks. Also, if we... Also, I just wanted to... Oh, sorry. I oh, just wanted to uh, add on... <laughs> it's always us. Yeah, I know it's always us. I just wanted to add on that, um, you know, just like any media platform that that newly emerged, you know, whether back then, whether it was Twitter, whether it was YouTube or, or VLive or, you know, or, you know, even Bubble, you know, they would all create this, you know, feeling of being co-present with the idol and it would create this like this 
fantasy or illusion of intimacy and you know like frequency and honesty so i think also any kind of digital media platform that newly emerged played a hand in creating this parasocial relationship and and of course now you see so like whatever apps that are catering fans to vote or you know to support their idols so and they all create revenue definitely i also wanted to go just, oh lily oh, sorry. i'm sorry go ahead, lily. <laughs> it's okay i was just well i was gonna say whenever our k-pop fangirl live was speaking um she mentioned like the individual fan signs and i was just gonna call myself out really quick because I literally entered Hoshi from 17's individual fan sign yesterday. <laughs> but anyways, continue with the um, educational discussion. You Good guys. luck, Lily. Good, Good luck. luck, Lily. Yeah. Thank you. Thank um, you guys. I was also going to mention that, yeah, like I also entered for the, for Lucy, um, the Korean band. I didn't get in, but my friend did. So that's a win in my eyes. Um, but I was going to mention that Aram uh, mentioned like the like the bubble and the social media, and that was my prime example. I mean, that right there is kind of giving the fan like the idea, like, oh my god, he's replying to me, or like she's replying to me. Like my idol is like looking at my messages, and I mean, and it does happen that they reply to people like directly, um, but that is a prime example of something that is like for para for that parasocial relationship like you're paying monthly to maybe have like the possibility of them replying to your comment type of thing so i think that that's a big one as well that, and more like on the recent side and i think yeah I just oh sorry like, oh no you go you go I just jump on yeah well and what caro said is i think in k-pop what i realized the one time i bought like close-ups tickets was like people are maybe paying to see the idol more close but really in k-pop what you're paying for is the opportunity to be seen by yep. the idol you're paying to be in the front row of the concert where maybe they'll see and engage with you you're paying to be on that video fan call and have that or like be at that fan sign and have them see it you're paying the extra price in the fan cafe to be an official fan club member so that they will only answer to people that are part of the official fan club so true. Yeah, I was just going to also add on to that. Um, for me, it's also the intimacy is haptic. So it's paying extra to be the VIP who can do the high touch event and actually physically feel the reality of the idol. And, you know, as someone who has shelled out megabucks to do that on more than one occasion, um, you know, I, I, I think back to one of my most famous favorite idols is Wonho. Um, previously of Monster X and now obviously a soloist. And the moment when I was able to actually touch him and think, oh, wow, those muscles are real. He let me feel up his biceps, actually. Um, and like that was like a really big moment for me as a fan. And it kind of validated a lot of those feelings. So the interaction between intimacy, touch, and also these sorts of um, kind of emotional responses are really key. And whilst, yes, I agree that we kind of feel this through intimacy and co-presence via VLive, but I also think what Liz was saying around being visible or being um, present in a physical sense, at least pre-COVID, was also really important to the development of some of this. And also one thing... Also really... Oh, sorry. Oh. Lily, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> this always happens to us. So sorry to all the audience. I'm always interrupting Aram. But um, I was also going to note that, like, with these paid things that we're doing, um, well, I mean, not going to say whether I pay for them or not, but <laughs> um, with these sort of paid opportunities like Bubble Universe, et cetera, et cetera, um, you're not normally paying for at least in this day and age COVID times you're not paying for a guarantee of an interaction you're paying for a chance of an interaction and so in these times especially I think that that strengthened parasocial relationships even even in my own life that's happened to me where now that that's the only chance I'm gonna get I'm like oh I mean it might be a 0.05% chance that I'd get a reply through this, but I'm going to do it anyways kind of thing. So it's definitely evolved too throughout COVID 
with these new opportunities that are coming up because with like high touches that's guaranteed like you know you're gonna go in there and you're gonna say whatever to them and they're gonna notice you but for these new things you don't really know that and it's just taking a chance I just wanted to say that one thing we're all mentioning in common is mega bucks money. And we all know that K-pop is built on this, you know, this neoliberal capitalist industry. And as someone who has uh, like six fan signs with Lucas during the pandemic, yes, it is very expensive, but it, it is paying for the chance to be seen and recognized. And because everybody is spending mega bucks everybody like not everybody but i think also a lot of fans tend to gravitate toward this sense of like oh i should get what i'm being what i'm paying for so in a sense there could be this negative turn where parasocial relationships could create fans making kind of unreasonable requests Yes, that that reminds me of um, you know the the kind of frequent chorus among South Korean fans whenever an idol does something that they don't like. I am not an ATM, um, and that they call out and they use this kind of um, uh, what's the word? This kind of economic relationship as as a space in which they can talk about and and debate and and also censure idols who who perhaps behave in ways that they find problematic. Now, in South Korea, that often is involving dating scandals, which, of course, in international fandom, there's a very different kind of relationship. But I want to bring up dating scandals here because they're very significant to the discussion of the parasocial relationship because within the South Korean context, the Japanese context, for instance, you know, it is these potential dating rumors or relationships that threaten the very heart of the fantasy of availability upon which these parasocial relationships sit. And this is a significant source of tension between international fans and fans in East Asia because it speaks to very different cultural um, expectations around the relationship between a fan and celebrity. Oh, what? I'm just going to jump right in here real quick. Completely agree. I feel like it just culturally international fans are just like they want the idol to be happy they want them to have the pursuit of happiness and to live their lives yes we all fantasize at one point like oh what if i meet my idol and oh my god we fall in love of course yes that happens but in reality i think yeah international fans have this mentality that it's just like there might be my comfort person they bring me joy they bring me happiness but I'm not delusional to think that I'm going to see him or her down the street and it's going to be instant love. But I feel like a lot of the more specifically like Korean um, fans, they feel like they have like an ownership over these idols and they don't realize that they are also human beings. I feel like that's a, I, such a big distinction culturally. I if, completely if I agree. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Thomas. Sorry, I'm going to step in and, and I'm putting on my ca cultural anthropological hat here to kind of remind us all about what is central to my discipline, which is cultural relativism, and is to understand that different cultures have different expectations. And whilst from the perspective of the international fan, some of what this that happens in East Asia may look, um, to quote the words that were used, delusional, for instance, the, the reverse is true, that the, the kinds of um, South Korean kind of expectations look to the international fan as being a misunderstanding of the culture of the idol. So I, I think that it's really important that we kind of understand where that belief is coming from, from South Korea. And whilst we may not agree with that sort of kind of positioning of the idol, we also need to be empathetic to the, the ways that idols function culturally within the South Korean context and understand where these, these differences come from and recognize that, that within a global popular culture form, there is going to be different expectations of what these relationships look like and what are kind of the appropriate way to show idols and, and produce happiness between fans and idols. Hey, this is Emily. I just wanted to add something really quickly. Um, I think we also kind of have to hold the labels accountable for this if we look at it as unhealthy or judgmental because 
the idols will say over and over again, you know, army is my girlfriend and things of that nature. So they're feeding it into it from their side as well. And, you know, there's multiple perspectives um, when it comes to dating and that relationship. Absolutely. I just wanted to add out that um, this cultural difference is probably because of this background where first gen idols were like wrapped around this aura of mystery and like they weren't approachable at all. At the same time, they were seen as role models who has to be like good, diligent workers. They have to be obedient to elders, nice to their friends. They're also cultural ambassadors. So they're kind of like wrapped around this, this, I guess, this mold or this frame. And it hasn't really been like broken yet so that's kind of why like dating or like something else that doesn't seem you know that doesn't seem to fit that that mold is frowned upon yeah so really quick everyone i just want to reset the room um and read out a couple comments and also cat i'm going to call you next just because we haven't had a chance to hear from you yet so uh really quick if you're in the audience you can also participate in this conversation just tweet your thoughts or comments or questions using the hashtag kpop chat let me just read off a couple really quick here so prim's prim s prim m's playlist tweets i just want to add that it's not excuse me just want to add that not all this is conscious even if you know consciously that you don't you won't become friends with the idol subconsciously uh, that feeling is still super strong and motivator um and let's see what else do we have uh yeah saw mean <laughs> or um at twitter user uh Gritias tweets the concept of weverse v live bubble universe allows that personal connection and also marketing through merch and fanship sales they can also track any number of sets through these fan engagement apps and let's see, uh, Taylor also tweets, such a good point about the concert tickets because I am guilty of wanting better seats. And uh, just by the way, on the flip side of commoditizing proximity and access to um, or intimacy, uh, commoditizing intimacy with idols, I- I've also seen that used as a way of like indentured slave labor <laughs> on the promoter and for concerts, like in- instead of paying promoters um and and uh organizers at at concert venues um they they say like hey you'll be you know you'll get more access to to the idol or or the crew so i just want to add that as another flip side uh, to that point so um kat we haven't had a chance to hear from you i just want to call on you if you had thoughts or comments on anything discussed Oh, thank you. Um, first of all, hi, I'm Kat. I'm on um, the Shiny Print the NCT podcast and also the Revecast as well. Um, everybody kind of made the point uh, that I was going to make from the beginning, just things like bubble, just like really reinforcing um, the parasocial relationships and, you know, making us feel a lot closer to idols than we really actually are in the grand scheme of things. Um I have bubble. I'll admit it. I totally have it. I have it for every NCT member. <laughs> Same girl. <laughs> and shiny. Um, but it's, it is that kind of thing where I think someone mentioned COVID earlier, where especially now in this time, it's like what other type of connection or prox- like closer proximity would we feel it, these days besides having these things like bubble and weavers and things like that. Um, I also wanted to point out that I feel like with parasocial relationships, like companies also know how fragile these relationships are. So they're constantly reinforcing um, that, you know, they're there and that, you know, like someone said earlier, like army is my girlfriend, things like that. So I feel like the more um, fragile society becomes and these relationships becomes because a lot of people do grow out of K-pop and, you know, leave it behind. The more companies tend to like reinforce that these idols could potentially be our husbands and boyfriends and girlfriends and wives and things like that later on. So that's just my point of view for now. Thank you so much for letting me speak. For sure. Let me actually move us along just to another question, maybe on the flip side of all this. Um, are there ways where parasocial relationships could be healthy? Or is there like a ethically gray okay zone where we as fans can participate in parasocial relationships? 
Um, I mean, as I want to remind everyone, it's a neutral term. So by that very definition, of course, it can be positive and of course it can be healthy. And we just need to look at all of the people on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and whatnot, you know, saying, oh, BTS saved my life or oh, when I was struggling, especially during the pandemic, you know, my, my relationship with Idol X really was meaningful for me and, and that it helped me get through this. And yes, it is a neoliberalized relationship that is managed through the commodity form, me putting on my academic hat again, but this does not neglect or does not deny the fact that it's very meaningful for people. Now, I mentioned that my research looks at LGBTQ plus consumers of K-pop and what is really key in a lot of the research contexts that I've looked at, Australia, Japan, the Philippines, Thailand, is that LGBTQ people who feel a disconnect from society are investing into idle relationships um, and either that via shipping, for instance, which you know we can put aside for now, or imagined relationships with the idols. Um, and I, I say as a gay K-pop fan, I know that they're all not straight, like that, that they're all kind of most likely not queer, but I still engage with them through that lens. And that, that's important because it, it validates my feelings. It validates their feelings, the fans who I've interviewed. So, yeah, it, it, it can be meaningful just because it is replete with all forms of commoditization doesn't deny the fact that there are meaningful feelings and meaningful outcomes for the fans engaging in these sorts of parasocial relationships. I get excited every time I see a bubble from Runjun because I love him and it makes me feel good. That's a good thing. We should celebrate it, even if I'm paying for it. Jay, I think you had a point on, on where to draw the line. Did you want to bring that up? Yeah, so... Um earlier because everybody was talking so good like honestly this talk is so good props to everybody who has spoken there was this I, I mentioned earlier is um there is also the influence of fan fiction and driving that your name fantasy while it's not wrong I mean I think everybody does have this secret guilty pleasure of reading fan fiction I know you guys do it's fine I'm okay with it it's like Okay, remember, where do we draw that rea that line between reality and fantasy? And while, yes, I agree, it is meaningful. And I have had my moments where, like, I'm here in the presence of my favorite artists. And this is so cool. But remember, like, wait, remember, they're human. And I'm not in this fanfiction either. So where do we draw that line of, you know, being, you know, wanting to have that connection, but also, like, Remember that it there's certain places put in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll actually I'll jump in after you, Jay. Um, just to like talking about like line is kind of you know we ourselves have to know that like it is almost like a one-sided thing, right? It is absolutely like us just almost projecting on it, and as long as we are conscious of the fact that it is like it is not real, it might feel nice, but it is not real. And, you know, we are only seeing a small portion of who that person is. Um, I think that's an important thing. But speaking on the plus side, on like the positive um, of this is um, a lot of times, um, as um, Thomas said, like they influence us in, in very positive and meaningful ways. And like, I will just, you know, give an example for, from personal experience, like during the, you know, the pandemic started and we were all spending a lot of time at home, obviously. And I'd always wanted to try different crafts or painting and things like of that nature. But I was always like, oh, I'm not, I'm not any good at it. And then like, you know, I would see like Minghao and Mingyu and all of these people being creative within 17 and just doing it and like exposing it to millions of people and I was like, I'm not going to have to show it to anyone. Why don't I just try it? And so when you reflected on that sense of it impacts your life, um, and like, for example, you know, like Bang Chen's, um, Chan's room on Sundays is so meaningful to so many people. And it has such a positive impact on people. And it makes people try to be better and try to be more considerate and, and kind to each other. And I think when we think of those aspects of the fact of how they can influence our lives and, and change, they're not change, but like just make us better for ourselves, 
not in the sense of like, oh, I hope that they see that I'm doing this, but just like a, this is a self-improvement thing because this person inspired me. I think that's a really positive aspect of it. And I can I just jump off of that real quick because I know that we mentioned that a lot of these parasocial um, relationships could be quote unquote like fake, manufactured, like you understand that they can get paid, these idols get paid to entertain, right? So we get that. But you also have interactions that are very genuine. For example, Bang Chan's room every Sunday. I feel like he does that because he wants to, not because he is being forced to. So I think that that also reinforces that relationship between fan and idol. Now, Bang Chan is a really good idol example because he knows when to draw the line. He knows when somebody is doing something that they shouldn't, he will call out. Even if it is in a subtle way, he will do that. So I feel like if you have that balance, like the idol kind of being like, hey, like that's not, com I'm not comfortable with that. And being comfortable enough to tell the fandom, then that's a good, like that's a good parasocial relationship. Another example of that would be Minghao or the eight from 17 and fan signs. He's told fans before, hey, like, um, don't think of me as your boyfriend. Think of me as an idol. Like, I'm here to entertain you kind of thing. I don't remember exactly what he said. I don't have a source for this, but I do know that it happened. Just trust me on I it. I back you up, but Lily. Like, 100% he, he said that. Yeah, that, that, that did Karen, happen. I remember Karen, it too. Y'all know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got you. No, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, like, idols like that or, like, how Chan will kind of check people sometimes is really necessary, especially in this day and age whenever um COVID is happening and there are so many more instances of those one-sided lines becoming a little bit more blurred and I think this is a good opportunity to talk about one of the elephants in the room the sussing um because what is happening with this kind of obsessive stalker fan is that we've spoken a lot about understanding the relationship and being reflexive um, and the Sasang is someone who doesn't possess that capability. And these are the kinds of fans that idols will explicitly call out. I'm thinking about recently um, when Wei V called out a variety of Sasangs who had followed them to um, a filming location. And they, they used their um, bubble, they used social media to, to really say, no, this is not on. And they do frame it through the, the language sometimes of, for your personal safety, please don't do this. But then you've also got idols who will step up and quite clearly say, no, you have crossed a line. And that line is somewhat managed by the idol itself. So so there is, the, I, I think, when I think about the industry, I think that there are checks and balances that are put in. But there are always, of course, potentials for people to take it too far. And the fandom is really kind of good at kind of calling out bad behavior and debating bad behavior as well. Then you can also get into the topic of how when somebody does cross the line and it becomes public information, then that opens up a whole new um, thing about bullying and harassment from the other side of the fan base and not just those people towards the idol themselves, which we honestly probably don't have time to get into. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, so again, if you're in the audience, if you have questions for the panelists, the speakers here or comment, please tweet them at use in the hashtag K-pop chat. It looks like we don't have enough space to add you up as a uh, speaker for this room, um, but I'll, I'll read out your question. So please go ahead and do that now. If you haven't already, just use, ask your question using the hashtag K-pop chat. I'll read one question from Taylor who tweets, do you guys think that parasocial relationships are particularly to blame for fans allowing their favorite idols to get away with inappropriate or disrespectful behavior? I think it's absolutely a part of it. Yes. Absolutely. It might not be the whole thing, but I think um, that when you attach yourself, yourself to somebody and you, you know, you love, quote unquote, love somebody, you tend to let them get away with you know, things that you wouldn't let other people get away with. So I think that and also personal biases 
all turn into this kind of weird thing where um, you'll call out, you know, another idol for something you might not call out your idol specifically for. Um, and I mean, that's that's always been a problem in the fandom, but it is because you have an attachment to your idol. And um, when these things come up and I see these things happening on the timeline, sometimes I'll like give people the benefit of the doubt because I'm like, I know how you feel about this person, but I'm going to side eye you for a while. So just to pick up on that, I think one of the things that I feel like I've perceived in the parasocial relationships in the time I've been watching K-pop is it's become like it's become less about the pleasure that being in the parasocial relationship brings the fan and more about some sort of like, uh, you know, cause like you're protecting the idol, you're serving the idol. And so things like like spending the money is good because that's keeping the company afloat and making sure your idol gets rich. And then there's all these things like and 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 it's important that I get the fan sign because it's important that they that he hears from someone how much he is loved. Not not I mean I think Tom's point about like getting to touch one of those muscles like that would never be accepted as a reason to get into a fan sign. Like just just the pleasure that it brings you and like nobody really just talks about oh this just makes me happy and it's fine to do because it makes me happy. Like you're never allowed to say that. It has to be for some higher cause and so defending your idol from you know this aspect of Korean society or the sesangs or this or that, that becomes a much more uh, highly valued part of that parasocial relationship. And going off of what Liz just said, that brings up the point of the fans too that like talk about streaming and how you gotta buy things and like blah 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 because you need to help your idol, you need to help your idol succeed. And I'm and that right there could be. That's a very toxic way of thinking. At what point do you stop enjoying K-pop and just make it a chore for yourself? Like that's not okay. I think definitely. And okay. also, oh sorry. No, no. Um, and also, oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, and also thinking about that is like, um, the whole definition of parasocial relationships is that somebody's putting in a lot of work and someone else is not putting in putting in any work at all and so that will really affect the way that um everybody in in the relationship's perception of the other person will grow can i also add oh sorry (laughs) sorry just really quick and it's also to hop off of what lily and carolina were saying is like it's also if you're not doing this it invalidates you. You're not a fan, quote unquote, if you're not participating in this. And But it doesn't make you less of a fan. Sometimes within your capacity, you have to do what you've got to do. And if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. But you're still going to show your support. And it doesn't invalidate you as a fan. But those who are invalidating you for not participating is also a very toxic trait. Yeah, so I just wanted to bring up and respond to all these lovely kind of comments that what we're really talking about here is how within this kind of socially mediated um, fandom culture of K-pop, where, you know, visibility across social media is really key, there is a certain performativity to fan experience that is emerging around how to be a good fan, quote unquote, and that this is increasingly becoming almost algorithmic in the sense that it's being tied to certain kind of mechanisms that are built into things like Twitter, such as the hashtag, where you perform your fandom and you perform your relationship. And at at heart, you know, this is often a, a, to kind of go back to the, the comment around making yourself visible to the idol, that there is a sort of pressure to to do good works or to protect the idol and visibilize that and just stream, 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 because this is how you show that you are a fan. And I think that maybe unconsciously to some people, this is an attempt to transform the parasocial relationship, which is based on a kind of relationship to the image into, quote unquote, a real relationship in which you are engaging directly with the individual. And, you know, the mechanisms of K-pop and the way that it functions as an industry makes that extraordinarily hard to achieve. Oh, definitely. I was also going to... Oh, 
Go ahead, Aaron. Sorry, I just wanted to add on that definitely parasocial relationships and, you know, the media tech industry, they affect each other because when they create these, you know, these platforms and, you know, media apps and which facilitate parasocial relationships and this, you know, experience of being together, being collective, then, you know, the fandom gains power. And because the fandom is mobilizing all of these things, then they create more apps and more cutting edge resources to create more parasocial relationships. And also, um, um, I think I forgot what I was going to say, but I was just going to kind of go off of what you were saying about how um, people, some people will take that parasocial relationship and see it as a stepping stone um, for kind of an evolution from a parasocial relationship to a normal fan to artist relationship as if, as in how people did it before social media where fans would go to every show and they were recognized but it was only in person and it wasn't over social media so there was that like concept taken out of it and there are some people that don't recognize that parasocial relationships aren't normally going to go any farther they're not going to evolve into something bigger they're not going to evolve into you being besties with your idol that's just not normal I mean I'm sure in some cases it's happened but that's not something that people should aspire to and people just need to be aware of that line and it's just another one of the lines that people can cross um if I could just quickly respond to a question that I've seen um from the soft gin agenda I also <laughs> just subscribe to the soft thank you for agenda. Yeah, yeah um, this this question of is the parasocial relationship more par prevalent in young fans or older fans? So once again, I'd like to remind us that the parasocial relationship as a concept is a neutral concept to explain the relationship between a celebrity image and a fan, which means that it doesn't matter about demography, it doesn't matter about ethnicity, it doesn't matter about cultural status or what have you. It is just the neutral term that we have used within psychology, sociology and anthropology to explain this relationship which has emerged within postmodern culture. That said, Softgen Agenda then speaks about differences between younger fans and older fans and I would possibly say that there is an issue of maturity there, but this is an effect of the parasocial relationship. It isn't inherent to the parasocial relationship. And I just wanted to kind of address that question because it helps us once again think about what this term actually means and what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the concept or the effects and how it plays out in different contexts. Yeah, okay. So quick reset. Um, we So thank you to Nat from Not Your Average Medicine. She, she was having internet issues, so we now have a seat available for members of the audience. If you're going to come up and actually allow us to hear your lovely voice, we'd, we'd love to hear to, to verbalize your, your question or your comment. So please go ahead and ask to become a speaker, and we can add you up. Um, and while you're doing that, I want to read out one other tweet from, by the way, there's a lot of really great questions. I, I'm not sure we're able to get to all of them, but I just want to say really good questions and we can sync with you each offline. Um, but I want to address one that just came in, Kungi Protector, who asks, um, how do you think AI and K-pop will affect parasocial relationships, specifically what SM is doing to, specifically what SM is doing with trying to create a virtual a E or A, I don't know how you pronounce that, especially character, for their idols, for their fans to interact with. I think that that tweet also goes along with um, Prim's playlist who tweets, how do you all feel about virtual influencers or fictionalized characters when it comes to K-pop, uh, such as Epaki. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just say really quick, as someone who works in the AI, I don't think we've yet seen the point where we're having synthetically generated GPT-3 responses to, to K-pop fans. Frankly, I think Lee Simon is trying to pretend he's a technology company, new culture technology, but they, they don't actually have the technology well, origins are. You know, there is Japan. Though I guess, guess one thing that I would say here to kind of shout out to the podcast, right? You know, you and I, Peter, spoke about this on an episode about Esper. So maybe people would like to listen to that. I don't want to kind of rehash my points there, but I'm interested to hear what other people 
Yeah, yeah, go <laughs> plug for K-pop fans. Sorry, someone was going to say something. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to chime in and say that that, in a way, is already kind of happening um, on a much smaller scale. So for the Universe app, which um, was launched right after oh, Bubble, um, what happens with those, for those who are unfamiliar, they are like similar to Bubble, where it's a paid service. However, with that one, what has happened with... Um, Phone calls and texts, I believe, um, they not texts, just the just just the calls. The calls. The, okay, um, yeah, and just like translating the um, post captions. Okay, yeah, they basically like recorded the voice of the idols, and then you know have like generated those and like yeah when you translate or when you click the audio button for whatever they post it is their voice reading it out loud and so in a way that's kind of created this like ai reality right of just like them you feel like you're getting a call or a response from them but it's not like it's just pre-recorded words that they put together and yeah it's, is it? And also with Universe, they blur the line because there are services on the app. Um, I'm not sure about Bubble as much, but I'm more familiar with Universe at this point. And there's services on Universe where the idol is actually sending individual messages. Well, not individual as in to individual people, but individual as in they're posting them um, kind of thing from their own hands. But then they also have the video call I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see. They have the video call feature where you can have the idol call you, but it's just that AI. Like, um, for for instance, I saw a video of Kevin from The Boys, and his was recorded in Korean. And um, for international fans, Kevin doesn't normally speak in Korean. And you could tell the difference between the speaking style because it was... AI generated instead of his actual genuine voice talking on the video. Okay, well, I'm going to give um, uh, audience member Sarah, who we welcome on the stage. Sarah, I think you had a question or comment that you want to make. Oh, um, I just wanted to talk about the AI question just really quickly. And um, hi, everybody. My name is Sarah Raleigh. Um, I'm a K-pop fan. I've written about K-pop for various publications like Team Vogue and CBC. And I have a book coming out uh, called The Bones of Ruin this September. So uh, just for people wondering, who, who, the, heck, who the heck am I? <laughs> um, I was really interested by um, what we've been talking about, this uh, parasocial relationship and uh, other academics have talked about K-pop as a neoliberal industry. And one thing that I think and unfortunately, at this point in the discussion, it looks like I accidentally hit the unrecord button. <laughs> so I tragically lost about 10 minutes of the conversation here where Sarah, Thomas and others had exceptionally brilliant things to say. But we caught the last couple of minutes of the conversation here. And I think the question I asked at the time was, what advice would you give to fans? Really thinking about what you're bringing to the table and thinking about why you as a fan have chosen to invest so much of your personal energy into this parasocial relationship should help you kind of come to terms with why you are reacting in the ways that you are reacting. And if it doesn't, that's when you need to learn to take some, I don't want to use the word criticism, but let's say advice. If you're engaging in behavior that is harmful, then you need to listen to people when they call you out on it. Um, and I think that's really key when people are, are slipping from fandom in a healthy way into fandom in an unhealthy way. And, and unfortunately, the line between those two things is very, very, very difficult to determine. And of course, it's always contextual and it's always personal. I just want to say this real quick. Sorry, before my phone dies. Sorry, just real quick. If your OPA is like a mafia don or is some kind of crime lord and you're still standing, I'm 100% going to judge y'all. Point blank, period. Because if your OPA is committing legit crimes, 
and like crimes against women and you're still standing defending doing all this stuff i yeah that's that's also with with that though too there the crimes that some people have been um accused of differ um as far as like cultural um recognition i guess um between countries like some things that people get arrested for um, uh, B2B in, um, in Korea um, might not be a big deal here too. So we've got to keep that in mind. In addition to all I'm, of these I'm, I'm uh, hurt. lovely comments, we also really don't know the idols. Even if they post what they're eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner, like three times a day, if they're on Live 10 times a day, we really don't know what's going on in the back of their minds or like what's troubling them, what's making them really happy. We really don't know them. So we just have to remember that there are human beings that we really don't know. Um, and just to add on to what everyone has said, I think it was, Sarah, I think you pointed out a key word, which is expectations. The expectations that we as fans set for idols um, sometimes is completely unrealistic. And, and to kind of piggyback what everyone else has said, reminding ourselves constantly that they are humans and they are going to make mistakes and they are flawed um, just like us, just because they're an idol or in an ind music industry does not make them perfect um, as much as the industry wants to convince us that they are. Um, so it's important um, to go along with what, you know, Thomas said about the self-reflection. Think about what are the expectations that you are imposing on that idol um, and are they unrealistic? Like, would you hold somebody else in your life to those same standards or not. Um, and once you kind of set what those expectations are and realize that they're human, I think that you can live a much more healthy fangirl life and, and really just enjoy it for what it is, you know? I, also, I just wanna say um, that, you know, everybody has their line and everybody has, um, their boundaries so I think we also I think everybody said this says this but we also have to realize that idols also have their line and their boundary and we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes sometimes and be like how would I feel if you know I was on that side of it um, when it comes to parasocial relationships because sometimes I've seen things where fans do tend to push too hard and again like many people have said, we don't know these idols. We don't know anything. So we kind of have to realize that just like we have boundaries and we have lines, they also have those things. Um, I also want to point out, I feel like the, the burden is really on us as the fans on how to navigate and manage uh, parasocial relationships um, because at the end of the day, companies, they're companies, they're conglomerates, they're, they're out there just to make money. So um, I think realizing that aspect of it as well would make it much easier on us as the fans um, on how to navigate that whole space. I think I just want to say one thing. When people say that um, idols are human too, I think it's important to remember that there are some people, this is absolutely true, first of all, but some fans use this as a way to not hold their idols accountable when they do do things that are particularly heinous. I'm not talking about things that, you know, are just cultural, like, you know, weed, that's something that's, you know, within cultural translation, um, doesn't matter as much to people in the West as it does in Korea. But I'm also talking about things like actually assaulting people, harming people, um, possibly causing other people's deaths or anything like that. Um, idols are human, but all humans should be held accountable um, when they do things. And I think that um, if you're a fan and you feel like your line has been crossed, you shouldn't feel bad or be made to feel like a bad fan for deciding that you've had enough and you want to walk away. That's your prerogative. So I'll just say that. Yeah, I, I think that that's important. And that, that does speak to the self-reflection that I was mentioning. Um, you know, this idea that if you feel something has been transgressed, then of course, step away. 
Um, and that's a really important thing. But the other thing that I'd like to remind, you know, listeners and, and also to remind us to remember is that South Korea has a court of law, okay? And it has a system for dealing with crime. It isn't the fans' responsibility to deal with crime. Um, so whilst I think that it is important to hold idols who misbehave, and I, I can, you know, I know that what we're alluding to, there's an elephant in the room that I won't let, um, but we need to hold them accountable. We also need to believe in and trust in, you know, South Korea has a very well-developed court of law. It has a very, very well-developed criminal justice system that deals with these problems. It isn't a fan's responsibility to deal with these problems. Okay, so I'm going to start closing it out here, everyone. Thank you, um, audience, especially for some really engaging questions. You can tell that if we had an infinity time, we would go off the hook and talk about this at length. Maybe we'll re return to this again in the future to talk more about a sub-aspect of this. Um, but I'm going to actually give one last um, access to Lauren. So, Lauren, I'm going to add you as, like, final word. Um, wait. All right, wait, I'm trying to... Add you? Why is it not working? Oh my God. Okay. Lauren, maybe you can just tweet your question and then, then we can mic drop on that. Um, also, sorry, I didn't um, say my like final piece. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Lily. Okay, sorry. I know we're super over time. This is just such an int interesting and super um, like complicated topic. Um, I did want to apologize. Um, I'm seeing some tweets in the in the hashtag. I'm I'm super sorry about um, not giving a tr trigger warning before talking about death and um, those sensitive topics within this discussion. I know the other speakers definitely would echo that. So um, just a quick apology to that fan that was um, giving us um, a hashtag tweet really quick. But um, just to kind of echo what everybody else was saying, the most important thing to realize, and in my eyes, um, is that we don't know these people um, and we don't know how they're going to receive the engagement that you're giving them. Sometimes you may say something or there are often fans who do treat their idols as if they're their friends and they might they might go a little bit too far with something because they don't know the idol and they don't know how they're going to perceive whatever you're saying to them. So just keep in mind to all the fans. I mean, I say this to myself all the time is I don't know these people. I don't know how they're going to think of me for doing whatever. I don't know how they're going to think of um, the actions that other fans have taken. So you've just got to really keep that in mind. And also with parasocial relationships, it's super, Oh, sorry. I just got text and I couldn't hear for a second, but, um, it's just super, super important to kind of be recognizant of the fact that this this relationship is parasocial and that it is happening, just like everybody. Okay. Else. All right. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> so, um, again, you follow all the speakers if you haven't already. Thank you uh, to our speakers for for uh, broaching this this difficult topic. Um, again, we may return to this again in the future, maybe on a sub aspect of it. Um, I want to call out Mars, who volunteered their seat from at 106 in Seoul. So please give them a follow, as well as Nat from Not Your Average Netizens. So please um, follow them as well, if, uh, just because they, they gave up space. So uh, final mic drop uh, question or comment from, from Lauren. Um, please go ahead. Okay. Hi. Can everybody hear me okay? We can hear you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I did kind of put my question up there. Uh, it's the first one, if you see. Uh, uh, because I'm a stay myself. Uh, I, I, I really like stray kids. Uh, and when uh, that one person, I can't remember who it was, uh, when it was, uh, he said, uh, bang, uh, Bong Chan, when, when you said uh, he has called out fans. Um, when has he called out fans? Because, like, I'm really trying to... Um, it, it's a genuine question, by the way. It's, it's not like I'm trying to attack anybody that did bring that up, or try, in no way am I trying to check uh, attack Chan. But like, when does he like uh, like check fans? I'm just curious about that. If you don't know, like a, a recent example, it's fine. There have just been times I think um, I'm not I'm not a huge stay, but we can definitely page in some people that we know that are. Um, but there, I feel like I remember some instances where somebody has said something and he's kind of 
came back with kind of a sly remark. He's never, I don't think he's ever hard checked anybody with what somebody has said to him, but he has kind of been um, a little stern with people in his answering of questions or comments through, I believe, VLive and fan signs before, but other stays in, yeah. in here, let me know. I think that there was also some rather um, diplomatically but cleverly worded remarks from um, Bang Chan around a recent, some recent controversies that have been facing stray kids um, in, in South Korea, just kind of telling people to kind of, you know, maybe not bring up certain topics when interacting with them. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, it's not necessarily, he hasn't been very explicit, but, you know, as, as what, what he does is it's a very Australian thing to do, um, he, he and I both being Australian. Um, so I think that, yeah, it, it, it's this very subtle way that we engage with people that we, we want to kind of um, say, oh, you know, we, we say in Australia, pull your head in, um, and that's literally what he's doing. Yeah, that was me that mentioned it earlier. Um, but what I was uh, talking about was the most recent thing that I know is that he he does subtle things. He will never straight out call out, but he would make it in a tone that will tell you like there's an undertone to what he's saying. The recent thing that I was talking about was just with Kingdom and he they were in a V-Live and he mentioned how there were some like stays that were, you know, like the he said like, the well-behaved stays that you are and look and gave a look. And it's kind of like, you know, the look that your mom gives you when you're I remember like, that. I remember. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the, the look your mom gives you when you know that you're messing up and you're messing up in public. So that's the one that I was talking about. <laughs> that's, um, as I said, that's super Aussie. <laughs> okay. that's him just like pulling out his Australian roots. All right, guys, I'm, I'm going to call it there. So thank you, everyone, for joining in for this week's chat. I'm sorry we can get to all the questions, all the uh, speaker requests. Um, feel free to DM the different speakers um, or, or engage with us offline. Uh, we'll be back uh, same time, same place next week. So Monday, 5.15 Pacific, 8.15 Eastern U.S. time. Um, and I think we're going to do something on AI in K-pop. <laughs> Judging from this conversation, if there's a specific aspect of AI, of AI and K-pop, um, please let me know. Um, again, these are like my two sweet spots as a professional, as a fan. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Thanks, everyone. I'll, I'll see you later. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.